heal the sick, nor cause the blinded eyes to see. A sinner's empty soul I cannot save. I am nothing more than what the Lord has given me, and through His grace alone preacher if that didn't bless you your blessers broke that was wonderful thank you ladies what great singing I'm thrilled to be here thank you preacher for the privilege to be here can I get my uh, graphics up on the screen here I'm uh, ready to go here I'll talk quickly about my table I'll be at my table after the service 
Then I'll be at the table uh, 30 minutes before the service tonight and after the service. This is the message I'm giving right now. The DVDs are me preaching. The graphics like you see come up on the screen, come up on the TV screen as, we wa- as uh, you watch it. It is a part of the Anger series which is available either on DVD or as a flash drive. Another one in the Anger series is freedom from the spirit of anger. And I like to mention this. I have a message on why I use the King James Version Bible. This message would not exist if I had not had a King James Version Bible because the the text that I use disappears in almost every other Bible version. Uh, Are we having difficulties here? I'm trying to figure out what's happening here. I'm ready to go, but... uh... What's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Preacher said he's going to see it. It, it, it. We're trying to find out if I'm going to get angry about it. <laughs> You're right. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, I want to really encourage you to be here for the service tonight. I'll be giving this message on why you need a spirit of wisdom or how to stop relationship problems before they can start. Uh, and um, it is... Um, I tell the story tonight, and and the story is really close by here. I've I've preached this message several times in the last few weeks, but this is a picture of the statue of Chester Bedell. And uh, it's from North Benton, Ohio. Chester Bedell was an infidel who built this statue of himself before he died. He's holding a... um, a parchment there that's labeled universal mental liberty and he's he's got his left foot standing on a Bible that he labeled superstition. He died in 1908 and before he died, Chester Bedell said, if there is a God, let my grave be infested with snakes. And uh, that it's one of the most intriguing stories that I've ever heard. I think you'll find it very interesting. And I think the message tonight will really help you. A pastor friend told me about a missionary his church supported. And he noticed that the missionary seemed to be gone from the field and back here in the States a lot. When he contacted the missionary supporting church, he found out that the missionary had recently been arrested here in the States. The missionary had been out to eat at a restaurant and publicly attacked his son with some cruel, angry words. Two ladies who were sitting two tables over moved to the other side of the restaurant and about a minute later, one of the ladies came to the missionary's table and said to him, Sir, you must respect that child. The missionary then asked her what she said and again she said, I said, you must respect that child. And with that, the missionary with an angry voice said, Get out of here. Then a second time he said, Get out of here. And a third time he said it. She left and went back to her seat. When the missionary and his family got up to leave, she approached him again and said, I'm calling the police. And uh, I'm reading now from the letter the missionary wrote. He said, I told her in a loud voice, It's not my job to respect my son but to love him, which isn't exactly accurate, but I don't really have time to deal with that. He said, go ahead and call the police and I'll wait. 
When the police came and investigated, the officer informed the man that he had disturbed the peace and he arrested the preacher. When the case went to trial, the missionary pleaded guilty to a disorderly conduct charge. Though he felt he was not guilty, but he wanted to just put the whole issue behind him, the problem had consumed three months of his life dealing with his lawyer, the district court, the district attorney, the court system, and all of that. When the mission board responsible for the man found out what had happened, they asked the missionary to to resign but left the decision to the sending church's pastor who graciously asked that they be allowed to put the missionary in counseling for six months and see if they could help him. When a pastor in the northern part of the United States told me this story, my heart was grieved and saddened. And after a day of not being able to get it out of my mind, I said, Pastor, this is up to you, but I'd be willing to give you a full set of my anger DVDs if you'd like to send them to this brother. Maybe they could help him if he would watch them. The pastor said, Brother Davis, that is a wonderful idea. I would be delighted to call him and talk to him about it and then send him the DVDs as a gift. So I prayed and prayed, and I'll share more of that story later. A godly wife and mother in our church in Illinois with a house full of children asked me a wise question many years ago. It was preceded by an observation. She said, Pastor Davis, I've noticed that you often bring up the issue of anger when you preach. Could I ask you, what do you do when something bad happens that you've not planned for? What do you do with the initial feeling of anger? I believe the text that I'm going to share with you this morning gives the answer to her question. Would you notice that Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 gives four distinct steps downward that follow each other into a dungeon of defeat. Now I want you to read my text off the screen with me all out loud, all together please. Would you all together, here we go. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Now allow me in this introduction to alliterate the four steps in these two verses. You could call these four steps downward into anger bondage or anger addiction. Step number one, stirring. Step number two, sinning. Step number three, settling. And step number four, signing over. Read those out loud with me. Would you please all together? Number one is stirring. Number two is sinning. Number three is settling. And number four is signing over. Now notice that it says, be ye angry. It means, be ye angered. It is describing a stirring that happens inside your soul. The Greek verb tense is a present passive imperative and the passive tense means not that you're acting but that you're being acted upon. It is saying that there are coming unexpected bad things to all of us that we have not planned for, such as problems with the screen. And those things are going to stir in you the emotion of anger That is not a sin. That stirring is God's flashing yellow caution signal telling you that you need to slow down and decide to let the Holy Spirit lead your spirit so that you respond with patience, love, and kindness instead of sinning by 
getting angry. Now, by the way, if that is not the correct interpretation of verse 26, then you have a contradiction between it and verse 31, which is five verses later. Now, if you do not heed the caution of the stirring and calm your heart, then you will wind up sinning. Be angry. And the second phrase is, and sin not. You and I never have to engage in anger, either by our words or our actions. Verse 29, right below this says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Why? Because that is where anger usually shows up first with the words that we say. Then verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Now some people go so quickly from stirring to sinning that it's almost like they skip that first step completely. Have you ever noticed that? That is why we're told in Proverbs 14, 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. Ten times in your Bible, it is seen as a godly thing to be slow to anger. If you slow down when the stirring comes, you'll be more likely to act instead of reacting with anger. Now steps number three and four warn of even greater danger. First we had the stirring, then we had the sinning. If you're in that, that mode, then you need to confess right away. And if you don't and you're not careful, then you can move to the third step of settling where it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. When the sin of anger is not quickly confessed, then it turns into what Proverbs 21-24 calls proud wrath that settles into your soul as you sleep and permeates your entire being. Now when I was studying this and got to this point, I asked myself the question, what else in the Bible did God say should not be left overnight? You could actually preach a series of sermons on that. But I was astounded with what I thought of and found right away. Deuteronomy says if a man had committed a capital offense and was to be put to death by hanging on a tree, that his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day that thy land be not defiled. Do you see the principle? That offense, that anger, have to be buried or it will defile your life like a decaying body staying around. Bury the dead body of anger or your bedroom will become a breeding ground for bitterness. Read that off the screen, everybody. Would you please? Bury the dead body of anger or your bedroom will become a breeding ground for bitterness. Stirring, sinning, settling. And the fourth one is signing over. Neither give place to the devil. It is saying that you sign over a room, a spot, an area of control to Satan, you give him ground in your life. And you might say, well, I would never intentionally do such a thing, but intentional or not, if you sin by getting angry, then let it settle, then signing over is the next step that you automatically take downward. And remember, this is written to Christians, not just to lost people, primarily to Christians. Now follow carefully my next thought because... It is really the message. If anger is an area where Satan gets control, 
then maybe we can understand this area better by understanding and comparing it to another area where Satan has very clear control. And a key area in the New Testament where Satan was seen to have control was in relation to unclean spirits. So what similarities or comparisons might we make between unclean spirits and anger? And now you know why I call this message the demonic-like nature of anger. And the first comparison I notice between anger and unclean spirits is that there is an obvious shame that seems normal to the angry person but is shocking to those around them. In Mark 5, Jesus was in the country of the Gadarenes and the parallel passage in Luke 8 says, When he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes, folks. That is shameful. Isaiah 43, 7-3 says that when nakedness is uncovered, shame is seen. Somebody needs to tell Hollywood that, don't you think? This man felt no shame when he should have felt shame. And angry people will often publicly display their anger and have no shame with it. A preacher friend told a story from his childhood. He said, there was a dog in our house and it needed to go to the bathroom, but it didn't know how to say, I need to go to the bathroom. So the dog went to the bathroom right in our house. My daddy got up, picked up the dog, took him outside, grabbed his hind legs, and bashed his head against the wall. Then dad came back inside and ate a big bowl of ice cream like nothing had ever happened. A second way that anger can be compared to unclean spirits is for many people their anger problem began in their youth. In Mark 7 25 we read about a mother whose daughter quote had an unclean spirit. I don't claim to understand all this. I'm just reading the Bible to you. In Luke 9 42 for a father's only son Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child. Several times now, I've had some parent come to me and say, what do I do with my child? It's like he's just mad at the world in general. He's always getting angry. Somebody bothers his toys or some food is put on the table he doesn't like. He just gets screaming mad. Well, I think for many children, anger is just manifesting itself because of their sin nature. How many here today have a sin nature? Let me see your hands. And that is every single one of us. And that means all of us have the potential to commit any sin and none of us should ever get cocky or proud. Okay. But at some point, a child has to be taught that he's responsible for his attitude and his actions. But then it's also true that many children are angry because they have been provoked to wrath by their parents or by somebody else. Notice what that father is doing there. He is using a belt. You never use a belt on a child. The Bible is very clear that a whip is for the horse's back, not for your child's back. And when you do that, then you can provoke your child to wrath. Two times in the New Testament, we are told, provoke not. And in both of those cases, it is addressed to fathers or parents telling them, provoke not your children to wrath, provoke not your children to anger, 
lest they be discouraged. This is the only time the word discouraged is used in the New Testament. God is very concerned that children in particular not get discouraged. The number one way that godly committed parents lose their children's hearts is by expressing anger at their child. Then Satan is able to step in because the heart is gone. Satan is able to step in and win the child's heart. A mother lost her temper, grabbed her little boy by the arm and screamed, Son, the devil's got a hold of you. And the frightened little boy looked up and said, Mama, I think you're right. I think you're right. Listen to this study from 2011. It said, new study shows children can learn anger from their parents at an early age. They found that babies only a couple of weeks old can pick up on our bad behavior. But I'll be honest with you and tell you, I believe it was true of even babies in the womb. Now, the reason, by the way, I'll be skipping several things in this message to save a little bit of time. The reasons... The reason parents must never use wrath in disciplining their children is because of Romans 12, 19. Read it off the screen with me. Would you please all together? Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now notice what he's saying there. The purpose of wrath is vengeance. So if you discipline a child in anger, you are not truly correcting the child. You're carrying out vengeance upon the child. That vengeance doesn't belong to you. It belongs only to God. And the child senses the severe injustice of that which you are doing. In fact, this is all you have to do to lose your children. I've said to people over and over, you can do everything else right. You can, have, you, you can be in church every time the doors are open. You can read the Bible and pray with your child. You can have them in homeschool, public school. You can protect child, your child from all the garbage of this world. And if you get angry with your child, you're probably going to have a rebellious child on your hands at some point. Here's what happens. You get angry at the child. The child gets angry back at you, so you get more angry, and the child settles down, and you think that the anger worked, and it did. But it did not work the righteousness of God. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And because of that, the child internalizes his anger back at you. Nothing provokes to wrath like wrath. Nothing provokes to anger like anger. So when the child got angry back at you, then you got more angry. You thought you stopped his anger. You did not. He internalized his anger. It turns into bitterness and it explodes as rebellion or at, at best just upset and, and angry at you, upset at God, upset at life, and you're wondering what happened. So you must never use, uh, you must never use wrath or, or anger in correcting a child. But vengeance is not always simply a physical thing. Humiliation. And bullying is another form of vengeance. Do you remember the story? 
in the Old Testament, how Hanan, the king of Ammon, humiliated David's servants by cutting off their beards and also cutting off parts of their clothes that left their nakedness explode, uh, exposed. Probably hundreds of thousands of men went to battle over that and tens of thousands of people died. Pastor, I've thought about it. I'm not sure there is ever a time when a Christian should humiliate any other person. We're not even supposed to rejoice when our enemy is humiliated. A lady wrote an advice columnist and said, I'm worried about my husband's relationship with our five-year-old son. My husband and son do not play ball or anything else you expect a father and son to do. The only thing my husband does is criticize, yell, and belittle our son. He will call him a baby, tell him that he's acting like a girl. My son gets upset. My husband taunts him instead of comforting him. My son has started saying he doesn't love his daddy. Is this going to create any long-term negative effects and the obvious answer is yes. Now notice this. God can righteously get angry, righteously carry out vengeance, and righteously even humiliate somebody like He did when He made King Nebuchadnezzar like a wild animal for seven years. I promise you, He was humiliated. Now, I don't know whether God deliberately tries to humiliate somebody or if His punishment simply does that because Nebuchadnezzar was this proud man declaring he'd built that great city of Babylon and God smote him and he was smiting his pride. But what happens when God humbles a proud man is that often He does humiliate him. So God can righteously get angry, righteously carry out vengeance, Righteously humiliate, but you and I are not God. And we better leave those three things completely alone. Read them off the screen, please. Anger, vengeance, humiliation. Number three, an angry person can flip suddenly from being normal to displaying wrath. Luke 9, a low of spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out. People are often shocked to see an angry person display his anger. Have you ever been shocked to see somebody who just all at once did that right there? And you were amazed and it's like, whoa, where in the world did that come from? That is what happened in that restaurant with that lady in my opening story. She was shocked to see that man talking to his son like he was. In fact, part of the charge against the missionary was that he used profanity in a public place, which he denied, but I know the words that he said, and I cannot say them publicly, and I see how it was defined as profanity. A lady wrote me, she said, I've been under the burden of an anger problem for years. It's a generational sin. My husband was fed up with it, but I defended myself. I went forward about 10 years ago in our morning service asking for forgiveness and for prayer. The people who counseled me told me I was doing fine. Oh, how I wish somebody had helped me with my spirit of anger he could have saved my children living 10 years under a loving mother who could turn at a moment's notice. Even now, I try to justify my anger is not as bad as other people's, yet I know that is not the truth. 
If I scold my 12-year-old son, he scolds his 10-year-old brother, who in turn gets angry with the neighbor boy or becomes whiny. Now, I was talking about how anger can be compared to unclean spirits. And when I was discussing this with somebody, they said to me, are you saying that all people are, all angry people are demon controlled or demon oppressed or demon possessed? No, but many people may be. And what the Bible does say is that the person who becomes angry gives Satan some type of control in his life. A fourth way that anger can be compared to unclean spirits is loud screaming is common to them both. Luke chapter 4, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice. Mark 5, the gathering in demoniac cried with a loud voice. A man who had an anger problem said to me, I used to think I wasn't getting my point across at all unless I was screaming. Did you ever see somebody like that? Angry people don't really communicate because they're not following what Ephesians says when it says you have to speak the truth in love. Now I want you to picture something with me. Imagine standing outside, and I wish we had the sound here, but we don't. Imagine standing outside in a terrible storm and you're trying to carry on a conversation with somebody. You're trying to talk to them and listen to them and the rain is pouring and the wind is blowing as lightning is crashing and you have no umbrella and you're just trying to carry on a normal conversation. Can you do it? No. You really cannot communicate because you're focused on trying to survive the storm. An angry person, your mate, your children, your workers do not hear you. You can scream louder and louder. They are not going to hear you. They are focused on trying to survive the storm of your anger. Do you ever see a child being screamed at by his parents? And he locks and braces for the wind, the rain, the lightning. He doesn't hear anything. The angry person is saying he is trying to survive the storm. A fifth way. That anger may be compared to unclean spirits is the angry person often damages himself worse than anybody else. In Mark 5, always night and day, the Gadarean demoniac was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying, running, screaming, cutting himself with stones. He is truly like a wild man. A pastor in Texas called me and he said, Brother Davis, I wanted to tell you that I apologized to my church last Sunday for my anger. And he said, a man came up to me on Wednesday and showed me his bloody fist and told me he had gotten angry and slammed his fist into some glass that broke and smashed his hand. A mother wrote this. She said, I need some help. My 17-year-old son got so mad that he hit his head on his car windshield and broke it. Now, I don't know whether she's talking about the head or the windshield. I think she's talking about the windshield. He wrecked my new car by driving in the desert over ruts and curves and brought it home on a tow truck. He asked me not to be stressed out, but how can I not be worried about him? He broke his car windshield with his fist. Charles Spurgeon said, anger is temporary insanity. 
I read another article telling what anger does to the body. It says, the emotion of anger causes the blood to rush from the stomach to the limbs and to the brain. It increases the heartbeat and strains the blood vessels. And even the healthiest of people cannot stand this indefinitely. No one, unless under distress of terrible circumstances, would willingly shorten his life Everyone who frequently yields to anger may rest assured he is doing exactly that. A sixth comparison between anger and unclean spirits. Anger sometimes causes the angry person to lose everything. Apparently, the demoniac left behind a lot to go and live in the graveyard. After Jesus healed him, the man begged Jesus to let him go with him. And Jesus said, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And it's probably referring to his home where his family was. Anger has cost many people their family, their friends, and their finances. And anger itself is a destroyer of relationships. Now, I want you to study that picture that's on the screen in front of you, and I want everybody to read the statement out loud with me all together. Would you please? Here we go. If you have a, an, an anger problem, if you don't correct the anger problem, then you can't correct the marriage problem. I'm going to ask you a question here. Do they have a marriage problem? Talk to me. Yes, obviously. Does he have an anger problem? Can they deal with their marriage problem if he doesn't first deal with his anger problem? No, it can't be done. Read again, everybody, would you please? If you have a parenting problem and an anger problem, if you don't correct the anger problem, then you can't correct the parenting problem. And again, we've got an angry father with a rebellious juvenile girl. And you know what? That father could send that girl away somewhere and get her turned around. But if she came back home and the angry father had not dealt with his anger first, she would become a problem all over again. A seventh comparison between anger and unclean spirits is this. The angry person loses control of himself and becomes controlled by his anger. The demon-possessed people of the Bible were under the control of the demon. The demon would use the man's mouth to speak with. In Mark 5, the demon would give to the demoniac supernatural power to break the chains that were put upon him. How many times? Has an angry person been referred to as losing control of himself? A famous preacher from the 1700s referred to his impatience and anger as a ferocious wild beast that I have never been able to conquer. Now anyone who will can stop the anger while it is still in the stirring stage. You sense this coming once you yield to anger... You will no longer control it. It will control you. Now here is a major difference between the anger of man and the anger of God. Notice this very carefully. 
In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 11, God says that He is weary with holding in His fury. God can and does hold His anger, control His anger, never flies off at the handle. The Holy Spirit will give you control of getting angry. Once you get angry, you lose control. Some people hurt and kill. Everybody who gets angry sins. Anger in people is always a negative thing. Anger in God is never a negative thing. Now, I always, anytime I speak on anger, I have to answer two questions. I have to answer, how about that verse in Ephesians 4.26? And then I have to answer, but didn't Jesus get angry? Well, the only time in the Gospels we're clearly told that Jesus used anger was in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Some people say, well, wasn't Jesus angry when He cleansed the temple? I don't know. You don't know either. The Bible doesn't tell us. But in Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees could see that Jesus was about to heal on the Sabbath day a man with a withered hand. What is interesting is the complete control Jesus had of His anger. He really did nothing with His anger at all. It is simply stated that it was there. The verse says simply that Jesus looked round about on them with anger. Now the Greek word there is orge. It is used 36 times in the New Testament, but it is never used in relation to any other person in the Bible but Jesus Himself. But that same Greek word is used in three different verses to tell you and me pointedly to not use anger at all. One of them is Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. This is a very interesting verse here. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. I had a man who came up to me one time and he said, I had preached a different message on anger and he said, well, I heard everything you had to say and I still think a little bit of anger is all right. Now, would you look at that verse and let me ask you a question. Is a little bit of blasphemy all right? Talk to me. Is a little bit of filthy communication all right? Is a little bit of malice all right? Is a little bit of anger all right? You see, we've got a consistent an, an inconsistency in the way that we recognize this and deal with this. And again, in James 1.20, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, I don't claim to fully understand what I just shared with you, but here is the simple truth. Jesus could handle anger. You and I cannot, and we better just leave it completely alone. Number eight, and this is huge. Many times the angry person does not see his problem, so he doesn't see the need for help. The Gadarene demoniac needed help. Others had tried to chain him to help him, he would not be helped. Even when Jesus came in Mark 5, the unclean spirit cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of the Most High God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Leave me alone, Jesus. Don't help me. The demon said, You are tormenting me. 
unclean spirits are stubborn. And angry people are often stubborn people who don't want help. And Satan's deception in this area is so devastating. Often it has even saved people, but they are like Luke 8, 27, living in the tombs with this deadness in their life from before they were saved, when we were dead in trespasses and sins. And the anger is so much a part of the fabric of their very soul, woven into their very being that nothing else even seems normal. Angry people will fight you to not leave the graveyard of their anger. Now, I'm not done with my message. But you remember the opening story I told you about. And I'm talking right now about how the angry person doesn't want help and won't see the need for help. And this missionary had spent three months in this area had finally pleaded guilty and the mission board was ready to let him go and the pastor was saying, let me counsel him. And I said to the pastor, I will give you a set of the anger DVDs if you would feel comfortable giving them to him. And the reason I do that is because we found out anger is one of those things, it's almost like an addiction. And if you have an addiction, not many people can just come to the altar and kneel at the altar and get victory there over their addiction with just one prayer. What is needed more often is a continual application of the principles of the Word of God in their life on a regular basis, and then the water of the Word of God washes the problem out of their life. And what we found out work has worked for lots and lots of people is if they watch an anger DVD, One or two every week. You have to put it on the calendar. Maybe Friday night or Saturday night. The whole family sits down and watches an anger DVD. And they do this for 10 weeks. And then they start over again and do it for 10 more weeks. And what usually happens is... We've seen some people that needed to do it a third time for 10 more weeks. But what usually happens is the water of the Word of God will wash the anger out of the family's life. And then we tell them watch one one video a month after that to keep the anger out. So anyway, the pastor said, I would be delighted to send him the DVDs and I'll let you know how it comes out. So I wrote that pastor and asked him how it worked and he wrote me this back. When I spoke with the missionary, he still denied having an anger problem. He said he was going back to the mission field with or without church's approval, with or without support. I really feel his attitude was not conducive to being taught. He said he did not need the videos He denied the conversation that I was told took place where his wife finally agreed that he had an anger problem and that was why she and the children didn't want to go back to the field with her husband. They stayed in the United States because they were afraid of his anger. His pastor feels like he needs to resign his mission board. He just did and work on his family before he goes back. But the sad thing is this, folks. There is no working on his family. If he won't work on his anger, there is nothing to be done. He cannot solve his family problems until he solves his anger problems. Number nine, a man cannot get victory over anger unless he replaces the anger. Matthew 12, 
is a key passage here talking about the unclean spirit that went out of the man and it cleaned up the house, but then the unclean spirit came back and brought all these other spirits more wicked than himself. And the end of that man was worse than the first. And nobody, you cannot simply say, Jesus cleaned the anger out of my life. You must also replace it with something. It's like that story with the demon. And you remember the verse that says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. And then there's this key verse. Pastor and I were talking about it on the way to church this morning. What do you replace it with? You replace it with kindness, with tenderheartedness, with forgiveness. What kind of church would you have if you just put all the bad out of here, but you didn't bring any good in? You know what? You walked in this place, there was praise, there was joy, there was greeting, there were people smiling. This is one of the happiest places I've been on planet Earth. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way your life needs to be. And that's the way your home needs to be. If you're got, you've got to replace this and you've got to get the right things into your life. And then uh, the 10 thing I'm skipping over here. There, there we go. I can't believe I hit it that good. <laughs> Number 10, the forgiveness and deliverance of Jesus is the only true freedom for the angry person. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. That place or ground that you signed over to Satan, ask God through the power of Jesus to take that ground back for Himself. Go back to that time in your life when the stirring led to sinning. Then you settled, then you signed over and said, Dear God, I should have never given Satan that ground. Jesus, through the power of your shed blood, I want you to take that ground back. The demoniac departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. And you know what we've seen many times, lots of testimonies. The world is amazed when an angry person changes. You know what the world says? We want you to learn to manage that thing. And so they have anger management courses. I love it. My DVDs are used for anger management courses in prisons all over America. And I'm glad they're doing it, but not, I'm, I'm not really telling them to manage the anger. I'm telling them to let Jesus deliver you from that anger because that's what He wants to do. I have a final newspaper article here. You're going to love it. A Brazilian man, Enrique dos Santos, decided he wanted to look like the superhero character, the Hulk, whose power is supposedly unleashed when he gets angry. Enrique used a green paint to paint himself with, and that green paint was reserved for ballistic missiles and nuclear submarines. It was really tough stuff. It started out as a little prank. He was going to paint himself like the Hulk. Now he is staying green permanently. The comic book fan tried to scrub the green in the shower, but the substance 
has stained his skin permanently and embarrassingly the superhero wannabe doesn't have the power to get the stuff off. And the final message is this. Anger will permanently stain your life, but the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from any and all sin if you will let Him do it. Would you bow with me please with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The most important thing is that you trust, the most important truth of all is that you trust Jesus to cleanse you from your sin, to save you, to take you off the road to hell and take you on and put you on the road to heaven. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed how many remember a time in your life when you realized you were a lost sinner on your way to hell and you cried out to God and asked Jesus to save you from your sin and He took you off the road to hell, put you on the road to heaven. You're not trusting in good works or church membership for salvation, but just the shed blood of Jesus. How many can say that? Lift your hand all over the auditorium, would you please? What a wonderful sight. Now maybe there's somebody here this morning, you can't lift your hand and say that you know for sure that you're born again. On this invitation, this is your golden opportunity right now to trust Christ as your Savior. You could call out to God from where you are right now and just say, God, I am a lost sinner. I'm on my way to hell and I don't want to go to hell and I need to trust you as my Savior. Or you could come forward here and somebody would be thrilled to meet you here and take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give the service that to the pastor. Father, thank you for letting us share your truth. God, I pray that we'd get victory over this area that is bringing so much destruction to our lives and families and our society as a whole. We're just, we've, we've become such an angry society. And Lord, I pray, for especially for anybody here who's never trusted you as Savior, they not leave without doing that today. In Jesus' name we pray, Pastor. feet and close our eyes, bow our heads. And if you're not settled on your salvation, if you don't know for sure heaven's your home, won't you come see one of the gentlemen at the front? They'll get a lady if you're a lady, a man if you're a man, and show you right from the Word of God how to deal with it. Now, that message on anger, anger, how it affects our lives, it affects our marriages, it affects our homes, our lives, our workplaces. Powerful stuff today, huh? I suppose one of the greatest obstacles is our pride, as was mentioned already. Well, I don't have a problem. I think we are remiss to think somehow we've always got that one handled. There's, there's, a, there's folks that do a really, really good job with that. There are a lot of people that don't. And I, can I tell you this? As men, I think as men in general, we really struggle with that. That's something we've had to war with our lives, I would take. I prayed this morning before I even got here. I went out on my own and just got a chance to get away for a little bit this morning. I said, Lord, how many control my spirit? It's starting to get out of hand again. It really is. And I, I got, I'm so glad that he preached on that this morning. 
Because what I realize, I got to replace it, not just admit that I got a problem. I have to replace it. That's good. I let little things get to me. You, you may not hear it, see it, but in my spirit, I notice it. I feel it. And I thought that was interesting how he said that it'll kill us. It's destroying us. Maybe you're in a time in your life where it started to get control of you a little bit. You don't have to be going ballistic in restaurants. You don't have to be making a big show of it out in public in order to have a problem with anger. Anger is something that's internal too. Maybe God wants you to deal with that today. have been wrecked and ruined because of anger. Well, it's the other person. It's always the other person, isn't it? It's never us. I have a right to feel the way I do. Oh, I see. Expectations. We talked about that this morning. Everybody gets frustrated, upset with their kids, but how we address it. I mean, we talk about don't spank your children in anger. We say those things. Doesn't mean we stop spanking, but we certainly need to be careful how we do it. A lasting impression that we want for our kids isn't the anger that we show. It's the spanking itself. It's the discipline or the training that we're giving them. This could be a very liberating message. I don't think it's going to do that, though. I think we're so entrenched in our beliefs and our own upbringing. We justify our anger, our attitudes. And we say, well, I'm sure that he's right. He's got a point. Well, what are we going to do about the point, then? Just dismiss it? So we still fly off the handle. We're still grabbing our kids and swinging them around. We're still screaming and yelling at people and getting upset. People say something, look at us funny, or don't do something we expect, and next thing you know, we're all bent out of shape. The wife says, calm down, honey. I've heard those words a few times. And we think, whatever, I'm fine. So we just keep going the way we go. It's wrecking our relationships, it's wrecking our homes, our families, if we don't address it. you got to deal with it. biggest problem isn't that we get angry, it's that we don't do anything about it when we know we have a problem. We're not even taking steps to try to fix it. And that's true in every area of your Christian life. God just wants you to be moving in the right direction. You may not have arrived at the destination, but you ought to be going in the right direction. And that's what all of us have to be fighting with. May God help us. Be right where you're at today. Take a moment. Say, Lord, uh, if I'd be honest with you, I do struggle with my spirit. I'm struggling with it. Lord, I want you to give me victory in my life, and I'm going to do my best to take steps to work on that. I'm not going to allow it to control.